preacher today, uh, Derek Haskins. And uh, we, as a church, we met Derek when he was in Pierce, South Dakota. And he, had, uh, he was an elder at Community Bible Church there in Pierce and had a great cushy government job uh, <laughs> that uh, he was enjoying uh, when he felt a call to ministry and sensed the Lord calling him into pastoral ministry. And so at that time, Bill Minky, our former interim pastor, kind of hooked us up with Derek, and he became our pastoral intern in 2021 is when you came, if I'm um, We had a great year with Derek, enjoyed him being here, felt like uh, he blessed us as much or more than we blessed him. Hopefully we blessed him a lot, but we felt very blessed by him uh, being here as an intern. And um, one of the best and worst things about that year, from my perspective anyway, was uh, one day Derek hid a noisemaker in my office twisted you know that and I go into my office and like within about a couple of minutes I hear Rew. I'm like what is that about 10 minutes later it's like meow is there a cat in my office like it can't be a cat and then I was like yeah actually it could be you sick people would put a live cat in my office so I'm going down the hallway. I'm like, Trevor, Jackie, what is that? What is going on? And he's just giggling downstairs like a little schoolgirl giggling. He got me good. Um, but at the end of that year, Derek went to uh, Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City, and he is pursuing Master of Divinity degree there uh, and about halfway through your studies, I think. So uh, on track toward pastoral ministry. And... One of the things that I love about Derek, there are many things, but a grace in his life is he has strong biblical and theological convictions combined with a deep kindness and a sincere love. And if you know him, feel that. He's not going to be moved by anyone off of God's word, but he carries himself with a grace and a sincerity honesty and you feel that he genuinely cares about you which is one of the reasons we see him being a pastor um, if you don't love people don't go into ministry um, so we are delighted to have him with us today just to be with him but also to have him bring God's word to us so can we welcome Derek Haskins as he preaches the word It's a joy to be here. Um, I don't think there's a week that goes by when I'm in Kansas City where I'm not thinking about my time here or talking about my time here, and it really is um, great to be home, um, to connect with you. Um, got to connect with a few people before the service. Looking forward to connecting with more after. And so I just want to extend an invitation to you if you're ever in Kansas City. Um, shoot me a text, look me up. I'd be happy to um, show you around campus. Um, Midwestern is home to the great 
um, English preacher Charles Spurgeon. His, uh, now we pretty much have all of his library and a lot of his personal effects in our Spurgeon library at Midwestern. Happy to show you that. That's kind of a cool thing to see. And then we or get together for coffee or barbecue. So just whenever you're passing through Kansas City, um, open invitation to shoot me a text, and I'd love to connect. Um, there's no place where I'd rather be on the last day of the year than with God's people and here with you. And so um, just grateful to be here and just thank you for um, the grace that you've been in my life. So our passage this morning contains one of the most probably well-known verses of Scripture ever written. It might be your favorite verse. Um, you probably have it memorized. Um, it's appeared on coffee mugs, calendars, billboards, bumper stickers, Tim Tebow's Eye Black. Um, and most importantly, if you're a kid, you got to know it by heart before you can pass the start zone and get your Sparks book, Awana. So if you haven't guessed it by now, our passage this morning contains the verse John 3.16. And this verse expresses a very simple truth about God's love for the world. But sometimes the truth, or a simple truth, can hide the magnitude um, of what it portrays. For example, take the story of a German seminary professor. Now I'll pause here. I'm not sure if he was a German Baptist seminary professor, but a German seminary professor. And he was asked to give a sermon one Sunday at a local church. And after the sermon, um, he was standing around and a man came up to him and said, um, Professor, thank you for your sermon. I'm an astronomer, you know. And as far as I'm concerned, the whole of Christianity can be summed up by saying, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, the seminary professor replied, well, I'm just a humble theologian, but as far as I'm concerned, the whole of astronomy can be summed up by saying, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Both are simple truths but both fall short of encompassing the breadth and the height and the depth of what they describe. So this morning, I want to challenge you like Justin did back at the beginning of the series in John 1 to really strive to go deeper into what God has for us in his word this morning. And so um, let's begin our journey of doing that together by turning to John chapter 3. And we're gonna, it's going to be on page 835 in the Bibles Provided you're new to the Bible, and we're going to start reading at that famous verse, John 3, 16. John 3, verses 16, and then we'll read down through 21. Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. 
But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works carried out God. Let's pray together. Lord, I just thank you for the people of West Center Baptist Church. Thank you for its long and faithful ministry here to this community and its just impact around the world. Thank you for all we heard this morning in Noah's um, annual review, Lord. Thank you for the work that you're doing here. It just it warms my heart to hear your faithfulness and your work through each one of these people in these chairs this morning. Lord, thank you um, for its passion to see men raised up for pastoral ministry. Thank you for the grace that that commitment has been in my life, Lord. And Lord, as we look to the new year, I pray that you would give us a renewed sense of confidence in your word. Lord, I pray that you would also give us a help, healthy sense of caution in our own abilities. Help us to avoid placing too much confidence in our own wisdom or in the wisdom of the world to rely completely on you. Lord, just forgive us for things we have done or said or thought this week, things that we carry in here this morning that are contrary to your law. Lord, forgive us and grant us repentance and help us turn to you. Lord, I pray that there are saints here this morning that are suffering, that are hurting this morning, that the light of your love through Jesus shine brightly on them this morning and that they would take heart and give your promises for them. Lord, we thank you for loving us by sending us your son. Help us to never lose sight of the wonder of the word being made flesh and dwelling among us. We open your word this morning. Holy Spirit, guide us into your truth. Guide my words and my thoughts. Just transform us this morning by the power of your word. In your name. So since this passage is so familiar, I want to make sure that we're thinking about it in the context of John's overall narrative. And recall that last week in that passage that you studied in John chapter 3, John is recounting kind of this late night conversation between Jesus and the Pharisee Nicodemus. And their conversation features just this back and forth about how people can see the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that he must be born again to see the kingdom. And for Nicodemus, this concept of being born again is completely foreign. And despite his education and his religious upbringing, his religious piety and practice, Nicodemus is in the dark. He's blind to the truth that's standing in the flesh right in front of him. But as this conversation progresses, Jesus positions himself as the solution for Nicodemus' spiritual blindness. He uses Old Testament imagery that, that Nicodemus is going to be very familiar with, and he presents himself as the one who must be believed in and looked to in order to be saved. So in our passage this morning, Jesus continues to explain that the cure for spiritual blindness is belief. And as we explore our passage this morning, the main point that I want you to see as we study is this, that God has expressed his love in the gift of his son, and belief is how we receive it. God has expressed his love 
And the gift of his son and belief is how we receive it. And my sermon this morning can basically be broken down into two sections that will demonstrate two truths. And so truth one starts in verse 14 and goes through verse 18. And truth two is in verses 20 and 21. But smack dab between the middle of those truths is a bright and shining light in verse 19. So two truths and the light. That's going to be our framework for our time together this morning. So when we think about um, where we're headed, and now that we have that in mind, um, let's back up a little bit into verse 14, and we're going to start reading there, just so we can kind of get the context in our minds. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So in verses 14 through 18, we get to our first truth, that those who believe receive the gift of God's love. Those who believe receive the gift of God's love. And in verses 14 and 15, we need to remember that the cross is in view here, that Jesus is presenting himself as the perfect sacrifice that makes entering the kingdom of God possible. Belief is required for the new birth, and the person and work of Jesus make belief possible. And in verse 16, Jesus expands on what he has just said to Nicodemus by explaining what happens when you believe. This is what he says, and this is, again, the familiar verse that we all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes him should not perish, but have eternal life. We know that those who believe receive a gift. But what's the gift, and how do we get it? Well, if you think about it, the obvious answer is eternal life. And in one sense, that's true. But if you look in verse 16, what is the gift that God gives the world? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The gift is God's perfect son, the living, breathing embodiment of God's perfect love. And who does God give this gift to? He gives it to the world. And when you read the word world here, I don't want you to just think planet Earth. It's much more personal than that. It's men and women, boys and girls. It's all people, young and old, male and female, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor. All kinds of people, but, all, but they all have one thing in common, and that's sin. So ever since the first human sinned against God, every human is born an enemy of their creator. We are enemies of God because we have rebelled against his law, and so the world is the dwelling place of God's enemies. And yet, God sends the world a gift, his son, Jesus, the only begotten, eternally existent, 
radically distinctive Son of God. He is the eternal word that you learned about back in John 1. And the author of Hebrews describes him as the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. The Nicene Creed summarizes scripture's teaching about Jesus when it declares that he is the only begotten son of God, begotten of the father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the father by whom all things were made. You see, Jesus is no mere man. He's the God-man, and he has come to earth, and he is standing in front of Nicodemus because God loves his enemies by sending them his son. Throughout history up to that point, God's extended grace to his people time and time again. He gave Adam and Eve clothes to cover their shame. He saves Noah and his family in the ark. He made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and he rescued his people from slavery in Egypt and brought them to the promised land. Time after time, era after era, God extends grace and love to his people in order to save them. But the cycle doesn't seem to end. His people are continually in need of rescue because of their rebellion. Nicodemus knows all this well, and Jesus is telling him that full and final rescue is here for all people. So the Savior is here, salvation is here, because Jesus walks on earth, and his kingdom is for all who believe. Look at the phrase um, in verse 16. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We receive this gift by believing. So what does it mean to believe? And in verse 16, Jesus describes both belief, both positively and negatively. First, it means trusting that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God. It also means relying on Jesus to do what he says he will do, pay the penalty for our sin. Belief is the catalyst for the new birth that each one of us need. Belief is results in eternal life. This is God's promise for all of humanity at all times and at all places. Jesus explains that the opposite of belief is perishing. The opposite of belief is perishing. And perishing is denying the truth about the Son and his work. Since the fall, perishing has been the default state Humanity. Perishing involves lostness, darkness, death, destruction. Nicodemus and all of humanity perishing. The only thing that can change that is believing. Believing what's true saves us from death and destruction. And here we have to stop and to ask, why? Why would God send his son to a place that's full of his enemies. And knowing what we know about the state of humanity, we might see, it might seem logical to us that God is sending his son as an act of, act of condemnation or retribution, that Jesus is coming as a conqueror to give us what we deserve 
for rebelling against him. That's not the case. Look at verse 17 and 18. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever believes who d- but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus didn't come to condemn, but to save the believing. Jesus is God's plan for the human condition. It's his plan to love those who hate him. And the purpose of this, the incarnation is not to pass judgment on all of humanity. No. Instead of imposing judgment, Jesus comes to save those who will believe. In verse 18, we see that those who believe in Jesus aren't condemned. Believing the truth about Jesus results in a miraculous change in a person's spiritual status. Belief moves a soul from a state of spiritual deadness to eternal life. Think of a heart monitor that's sitting beside a hospital bed. From flatline to heartbeat, from darkness to light, from death to life. That's what happens when you believe. Those who believe receive the gift of God's love, the person of Jesus. And Jesus' words to Nicodemus pose a question to each one of us here this morning. Do you believe? Jesus makes it clear that condemnation is the present state of those who do not believe. His coming doesn't place them into their current state of condemnation. It only reveals it. And in verse 19, we're going to reach an inflection point that serves as a key to help us understand our passage. But before we read verse 19, I want to get an image in your mind that I think will help you see what Jesus is trying to get across here. So I'm going to do that by telling you a story. So when I was in eighth grade, I went with my church on a mission trip to Mexico. And I vividly remember driving into the city for the first time. We crossed the border, and the sun is setting. The sun's going down. It's starting to get dark. And as we're headed to the house where we're going to stay, it just, things just kind of keep getting darker. We go past this carnival. And it's kind of dark and creepy. We keep kind of going down these paths. We, the pavement ends. It goes to be a dirt path. And then the streetlights, there's fewer and fewer streetlights. And it's not a street. It ends up kind of being a dusty path. And I need, naively think to myself, I'm like, well, we must have to b- drive through the b- bad part of town before, you know, we get to where today. And just as that thought kind of passes through my mind, the driver turns into a driveway puts the van in park, says, okay, we're here. We unload all of our stuff, and we go into this house, and it's very clean, it's very nice. There's really not any frills. There's going to be 15 of us staying in kind of one big room on army cots, and all 15 of us are sharing a bathroom. And so we get unpacked, we have supper, and we get into bed, and the lights go out. And all is really quiet except for barking neighborhood dogs and a distant car alarm. 
But sometime in the middle of the night, one of the ladies in our group gets up to use the bathroom. So she goes into the bathroom, and she flips on the light. And what does the light reveal? Cockroaches. More roaches than you can count. The floor is covered with roaches. And so, what do the roaches do when the lights come on? I mean, they scatter like the floor moves, and they try to find a dark place to hide. Well, she muffles a scream, turns off the light, goes back to bed. So with that image in mind, let's read verse 19 together. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. Here we see that Jesus' presence does bring a type of judgment. The incarnation is a decisive and revealing event. Verse 19 shows us that Jesus is the light that reveals the truth about humanity. Jesus is the light that reveals the truth about humanity. And when the word judgment is used in verse 19, we can understand that as kind of an assessment or an evaluation. And so Jesus is revealing the results of the assessment. People love the darkness of sin more than the light. And ultimately, it's the state of humanity that provides the basis for judgment, not the presence of Christ. So it's the state of humanity that provides the basis for judgment, not the presence of Christ. So why do people love the darkness? Well, Jesus says here it's because their deeds are evil. The sun's presence separates darkness from light. Like the bathroom light flipping on and revealing cockroaches who scatter, the light of Jesus' presence reveals the world's natural state darkness. So I want you to just pause for a second and think about the contrast that Jesus is kind of drawing here between God and humanity. Verse 16, Jesus says that God loves the world, his enemies, humanity. But now in verse 19, what does humanity love? Darkness. Rather than to looking to Jesus for life, humans remain in the darkness of sin because of their evil works. Jesus is the light that reveals this truth. So stop and think for a second. When the light of Jesus' presence shines on you this morning, how does your heart respond to that? Our passage tells us that some will run towards the light, and others won't. They'll run from it. Some will believe, and some will not. But why? Why do people love the darkness and then refuse to believe? Let's take a look at verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So verse 20 provides the reason for unbelief. And that brings us to truth number two. Truth two, some will not believe because they love the darkness more than the light. Some will not believe because they love the darkness more than the light. 
People flee the light because they do not want their evil works exposed. For those who are in darkness, they're in a perpetual state of doing evil. And they hate the light because it exposes their sin. The presence of God's love in Christ brings shame and conviction rather than belief and obedience. So, they remain in the dark. What about you? You love the darkness more than the light? Before we read verse 21, I want us to zoom out and then take stock of where we've been. So in verses 14 through 18, we discovered our first truth. Those who believe receive the gift of God's love. And then the second truth, some will not believe because they love the darkness more than the light. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. We have to believe in order to receive. But how can we believe for blind and love the darkness more than the light? If our natural state is to see God's perfect gift of love, Jesus, as a condemnation rather than the greatest gift that we could ever be given, what hope do we have? How can we ever believe the truth? The prospect of our believing, of believing on our own seems just as absurd as being born again seemed to Nicodemus. How can that happen? Well, first we have Jesus, the light, He comes into the world. He reveals the truth about humanity. But believing the truth about Jesus requires that we believe the truth about ourselves. Without the light, you'll never see the darkness. Without realizing you're in darkness, you'll never come to the light. Believe. When you find yourself in the darkness of damnation, his light finds you and then makes you aware of your current condition. But behind the scenes, someone else is also at work. And then Jesus explained this to Nicodemus. You look in verse 6. He says that those who are born again enter the kingdom and enter the kingdom of God are born again by his spirit. The triune God is at work in salvation. The Father sends his Son The Son sends the Spirit, and the Spirit is the giver of life. He's the one who enables us to turn from the darkness to the light, and he's the one who causes us to be born again. And in in verse 21, Jesus is going to make it clear that there are going to be those who the Spirit draws to the light. Let's read verse 21. But But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Now, the meaning of this verse might not jump off the page to us right away, but I think what might be helpful is to just take a look at the phrase, whoever does what is true. Just know that there's an ongoing aspect to the language that Jesus is using here. So the sense he's trying to communicate is this. Whoever goes on doing what is true. Just as there's kind of this ongoing sense of doing evil among those who are in darkness, there's also an ongoing sense of doing what is true 
among those who come to the light. John Piper explains it this way. He says, whoever goes on doing what is true or acting in accord with the light will always come to the light and not run away from it. And the reason he will come is so that it will be clear that this ongoing behavior is doing what is true has been the work of God, not himself. There is no self-righteousness in those who come to the light. Those who come to the light realize that the only reason that they come is because of God's grace. When you believe, God causes your eyes to be open to spiritual realities that you once had no capacity to see. Without the light, you'll never see the darkness. And without realizing the darkness exists, you'll never come to the light believe. So in the end, it's the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes to the truth that God has expressed his love, the gift of his son, and belief is how we receive it. Now for the rest of our time this morning, I want us to review a few questions that we've considered along the way. How do you react when the light of Jesus' presence shines on your heart this morning? You love the darkness more than the light. Finally, you believe. This morning, you've heard that Jesus, the radically distinctive Son of God, the one who is both truly man and truly God, say that he came to earth to save people like you. He came to earth, he lived a perfect life, he died and rose again so people like you come to the light. You may be saying like, hey, Derek, that sounds great, but things in my life are really dark. You might be feeling the weight of your own sin. You might feel that you've messed things up so bad that there's no way that you can come to the light. It's impossible. That's not true. Jesus came to draw you to the light. Come. Or you might feel the darkness of the fallen world surrounding you. War, political turmoil, a bad economy, justice, suicide, abuse. The world seems hopeless, crumbling all around you. But know that those who believe are part of an eternal kingdom where Jesus will one day right every wrong, vindicate everyone who's oppressed, wipe every tear, make all things new. Come to his kingdom. You may have heard all this for God so loved the world stuff before, but I pray this morning that maybe it hits a little different, that maybe there's a flicker of hope that what Jesus says is true, that he has come to save and not to condemn, and if his spirit is beckoning you to come to the light this morning, come. The time is now. Don't stay in the dark. The Bible calls coming to the light repentance, which means turning from the darkness of sin and toward the light of Jesus. It's believing the truth about him and then relying on what he has done, what he says he will do. Come to the light.
And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you do believe. And you're living in the light this morning. That's great. But if you're like me, there's parts of your life where the, light, the darkness seems to be encroaching. Maybe it's from within your own heart. Maybe it's from the outside. Maybe that there's a part of you that's hiding from the light. That you're holding back. Secret sin that maybe you're coddling. Maybe there's someone that you're struggling to forgive and you're letting bitterness grow in your heart. That's you. Come to the light. Don't let that secret sin grow in darkness. Don't harden your heart. Look to the light. Believe again. Or as you look to 2024, and you look out at the horizon, maybe all you see is dark clouds. Remember that you are part of the heavenly kingdom. The rule of Christ extends from the heights of the heavens to the depths of the sea. He is in control of every single cell in your body, every molecule.